Section 18 of Tanglewood Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Liz Devins. Tanglewood Tales by Nathaniel Hawthorne. The Golden Fleece, Part 4. Greatly encouraged at finding himself not yet turned into a cinder, the young man awaited the attack of the bulls. Just as the brazen brutes fancied themselves sure of tossing him into the air, he caught one of them by the horn and the other by his screwed-up tail, and held them in a grip like that of an iron vice, one with his right hand, the other with his left. Well, he must have been wonderfully strong in arms, to be sure, but the secret of the matter was that the brazen bulls were enchanted creatures, and that Jason had broken the spell of their fiery fierceness by his bold way of handling them and ever since that time it has been the favorite method of brave men when danger assails them to do what they call taking the bull by the horns and to grip him by the tail is pretty much the same thing that is to throw aside fear and overcome the peril by despising it it was now easy to yoke the bulls and to harness them to the plough which had lain rusting on the ground for many years gone by so long was it before anybody could be found capable of ploughing that piece of land. Jason, I suppose, had been taught how to draw a furrow by the good old Chiron, who perhaps used to allow himself to be harnessed by the plough. At any rate, our hero succeeded perfectly well in breaking up the greensward, and by the time that the moon was a quarter of her journey up the sky, the ploughed field lay before him, a large tract of black earth, ready to be sown with the dragon's teeth. So Jason scattered them broadcast, and harried them into the soil, with a brush harrow, and took his stand on the edge of the field, anxious to see what would happen next. "'Must we wait long for the harvest time?' he inquired of Medea, who was now standing by his side. "'Whether sooner or later it will be sure to come,' answered the princess. "'A crop of armed men never fails to spring up when the dragon's teeth have been sown.' The moon was now high aloft in the heavens, and threw its bright beams over the ploughed field, where as yet there was nothing to be seen. Any farmer on viewing it would have said that Jason must wait weeks before the green blades would peep out from the clods, and whole months before the yellow grain would be ripened for the sickle. But by and by, all over the field, there was something that glistened in the moonbeams, like sparkling drops of dew. These bright objects sprouted higher, and proved to be the steel heads of spears. Then there was a dazzling gleam from a vast number of polished brass helmets, beneath which, as they grew farther out of the soil, appeared the dark and bearded visages of warriors, struggling to free themselves from the imprisoning earth. The first look that they gave at the upper world was a glare of wrath and defiance. Next were seen their breastplates, in every right hand there was a sword or a spear, and on each left arm a shield, and when this crop of warriors had but half grown out of the earth, they struggled, such as their impatience of restraint, and as it wore, tore themselves up by the roots. Wherever a dragon's tooth had fallen, there stood a man armed for the battle. They made a clangor with their swords against their shields, and eyed one another fiercely, for they had come into this beautiful world, and into this peaceful moonlight, full of rage and stormy passions and ready to take the life of every human brother in recompense for the boon of their own existence. There have been many other armies in the world that seem to possess the same fierce nature with the one which had now sprouted from the dragon's teeth, but these in the moonlit field were the more excusable 
because they had never had women for their mothers, and how it would have rejoiced any great captain, who was bent on conquering the world, like Alexander or Napoleon, to raise a crop of armed soldiers as easily as Jason did. For a while the warriors stood flourishing their weapons, clashing their swords against their shields, and boiling over with the red-hot thirst for battle. Then they began to shout, "'Show us the enemy! Lead us to the charge! Death or victory! Come on, brave comrades! Conquer or die!' and a hundred other outcries, such as men always bellow forth on a battlefield, in which these dragon people seemed to have had their tongue's end. At last the front rank caught sight of Jason, who, beholding the flash of so many weapons in the moonlight, had thought it best to draw his sword. In a moment all the sons of the dragon's teeth appeared to take Jason for an enemy, and crying with one voice, "'Guard the golden fleece!' they ran at him with uplifted swords and protruded spears. Jason knew that it would be impossible to withstand this bloodthirsty battalion with his single arm, but determined, since there was nothing better to be done, to die as valiantly as if he himself had sprung from a dragon's tooth. Medea, however, bade him snatch up a stone from the ground. "'Throw it among them quickly,' cried she, "'is the only way to save yourself.' The armed men were now so nigh that Jason could discern the fire flashing out of their enraged eyes, when he let fly the stone, and saw it strike the helmet of a tall warrior, who was rushing upon him with his blade aloft. The stone glanced from the man's helmet to the shield of his nearest comrade, and thence flew right into the angry face of another, hitting him smartly between the eyes. Each of the three who had been struck by the stone took it for granted that his next neighbor had given him the blow, and instead of running any further toward Jason, they had begun to fight among themselves. The confusion spread through the host, so that it seemed scarcely a moment before they were all hacking, hewing, and stabbing at one another, lopping off arms, heads, and legs, and doing such memorable deeds that Jason was filled with immense admiration, although, at the same time, he could not help laughing to behold these mighty men punishing each other for an offense which he himself had committed. In an incredibly short space of time, almost as short indeed as it had taken them to grow up, all but one of the heroes of the dragon's teeth were stretched lifeless on the field. The last survivor, the bravest and strongest of the whole, who had just force enough to wave his crimson sword over his head and give a shout of exultation, crying, Victory! Victory! Immortal fame! when he himself fell down and lay quietly among his slain brethren. And there was the end of that army that had sprouted from the dragon's teeth, that fierce and feverish fight was the only enjoyment which they had tasted on this beautiful earth. "'Let them sleep in a bed of honor," said the Princess Medea, with a sly smile at Jason. "'The world will always have simpletons enough, just like them, fighting and dying for they know not what, and fancying that posterity will take the trouble to put laurel wreaths on their rusty and battered helmets. Could you help smiling, Prince Jason, to see the self-conceit of that last fellow?' just as he tumbled down. It made me very sad, answered Jason gravely, and to tell you the truth, princess, the golden fleece does not appear so well worth the winning after what I have just here beheld. You will think differently in the morning, said Medea. True, the golden fleece may not be so valuable as you have thought it, but then there is nothing better in the world, and one must needs have an object. You know, come, 
your night's work has been well performed, and tomorrow you can inform King Etes that the first part of your allotted task is fulfilled. Agreeably to Medea's advice, Jason went bedtimes in the morning into the palace of King Etes. Entering the presence chamber, he stood at the foot of the throne and made a low obeisance. "'Your eyes look heavy, Prince Jason,' observed the king. "'You appear to have spent a sleepless night.' I hope you have been considering the matter a little more wisely, and have concluded not to get yourself scorched to a cinder in attempting to tame my brazen-lunged bulls. That is already accomplished, may it please your majesty, replied Jason. Bulls have been tamed and yoke, the field has been ploughed, the dragon's teeth have been sown broadcast and harrowed into the soil, the crop of armed warriors have sprung up, and they have slain one another to the last man, and I now solicit your majesty's permission to encounter the dragon, that I may take down the golden fleece from the tree, and depart with my nine-and-forty comrades. King Aetes scowled, and looked very angry and excessively disturbed, for he knew that, in accordance with his kingly promise, he ought now to permit Jason to win the fleece, if his courage and skill should enable him to do so. But, since the young man had met with such good luck in the matter of the brazen bulls and the dragon's teeth, the king feared that he would be equally successful in slaying the dragon, and therefore, though he would gladly have seen Jason snapped up at a mouthful, he was resolved, and it was a very wrong thing of this wicked potentate, not to run any further risk of losing his beloved fleece. "'You never would have succeeded in this business, young man,' said he, "'if my undutiful daughter Medea had not helped you with her enchantments. "'Had you acted fairly, you would have been, at this instance, "'a black cinder or a handful of white ashes. "'I forbid you, on pain of death, to make any more attempts to get the golden fleece. "'To speak my mind plainly, you shall never set eyes on so much as one of its glistening locks.' Jason left the king's presence in great sorrow and anger. He could think of nothing better to be done than to summon together his forty-nine brave Argonauts, march at once to the Grove of Mars, slay the dragon, take possession of the Golden Fleece, get on board the Argo, and spread all sail for Iolchis. The success of this scheme depended, it is true, on the doubtful point whether all fifty heroes might not be snapped up at so many mouthfuls by the dragon. But as Jason was hastening down the palace steps, the Princess Medea called after him and beckoned him to her, to her return. Her black eyes shone upon him with such keen intelligence that he felt as if there were a serpent peeping out of them, and although she had done him so much service only the night before, he was by no means very certain that she would not do him an equally great mischief before sunset. These enchantresses, you must know, are never to be depended on. "'What says King Aetes, my royal and upright father?' inquired Medea, slightly smiling. "'Will he give you the golden fleece without any further risk or trouble?' "'On the contrary,' answered Jason, "'he is very angry with me for taming the brazen bulls and sowing the dragon's teeth, "'and he forbids me to make any more attempts and positively refuses to give up the golden fleece, "'whether I slay the dragon or no.' "'Yes, Jason,' said the princess, "'and I can tell you more.' Unless you set sail from Colchis before to-morrow morning, the king means to burn your fifty-oared galley, and put yourself and your forty-nine brave comrades to the sword. But be of good courage. The golden fleece you shall have if it lies within the power of my enchantments to get it for you. Wait for me here an hour before midnight. 
At the appointed hour you might again have seen Prince Jason and the Princess Medea, side by side, stealing through the streets of Colchis, on their way to the sacred grove, in the centre of which the golden fleece was suspended to a tree. While they were crossing the pasture ground, the brazen bulls came towards Jason, lowing, nodding their heads, and thrusting forth their snouts, which, as other cattle do, they loved to have rubbed and caressed by a friendly hand. Their fierce nature was thoroughly tamed, and, with their fierceness, the two furnaces in their stomachs had likewise been extinguished, insomuch that they probably enjoyed far more comfort in grazing and chewing their cuds than ever before. Indeed, it had heretofore been a great inconvenience to those poor animals that, whenever they wished to eat a mouthful of grass, the fire out of their nostrils had shriveled it up before they could manage to crop it. How they had contrived to keep themselves alive is more than I can imagine. But now, instead of emitting jets of flame and streams of sulphurous vapor, they breathed the very sweetest of cow-breath. After kindly patting the bulls, Jason followed Medea's guidance into the grove of Mars, where the great oak trees, that had been growing for centuries, threw so thick a shade that the moonbeams struggled vainly to find their way through it. Only here and there a glimmer fell upon the leaf-strewn earth, or now and then a breeze stirred the boughs aside, and gave Jason a glimpse of the sky, lest, in that deep obscurity, he might forget that there was one overhead. At length, when they had gone further and farther into the heart of duskiness, Medea squeezed Jason's hand. "'Look yonder,' she whispered. "'Do you see it?' Gleaming among the venerable oaks, there was a radiance, not like the moonbeams, but rather resembling the golden glory of the setting sun. It proceeded from an object, which appeared to be suspended at about a man's height from the ground, a little farther within the wood. "'What is it?' asked Jason. "'Have you come so far to seek it?' exclaimed Medea, and you do not recognize the meed of all your toils and perils, when it glitters before your eyes. It is the golden fleece. Jason went onward a few steps farther, and then stopped to gaze. Oh, how beautiful it looked, shining with a marvelous light of its own, that it, the inestimable prize which so many heroes had longed to behold, but had perished in the quest of it, either by the perils of their voyage, or by the fiery breath of the brazen-lunged bulls. "'How gloriously it shines!' cried Jason, in a rapture. "'It has surely been dipped in the richest gold of sunset. "'Let me hasten onward and take it to my bosom.' "'Stay,' said Medea, holding him back. "'Have you forgotten what guards it?' "'To say the truth, in the joy of beholding the object of his desires, "'the terrible dragon had quite slipped out of Jason's memory. "'Soon, however, something came to pass "'that reminded him what perils were still to be encountered.' An antelope, that probably mistook the yellow radiance for sunrise, came bounding fleetingly through the grove. He was rushing straight toward the golden fleece, when suddenly there was a frightening hiss, and the immense head and half the scaly body of the dragon was thrust forth. For he was twisted round the trunk of the tree on which the fleece hung, and, seizing the poor antelope, swallowed him with one snap of his jaws. After this feat the dragon seemed sensible that some other living creature was within reach, on which he felt inclined to finish his meal. In various directions he kept poking his ugly snout among the trees, stretching out his neck a terrible long way, now here, now there, and now close to the spot where Jason and the princess were hiding behind Oak. Upon my word, as the head came waving and undulating through the air, and reaching almost within arm's length of Prince Jason, it was a very hideous and uncomfortable sight, 
The gape of his enormous jaws was nearly as wide as the gateway of the king's palace. "'Well, Jason,' whispered Medea, for she was ill-natured, as all enchantresses are, and wanted to make the bold youth tremble. "'What do you think now of your prospect of winning the golden fleece?' Jason answered only by drawing his sword and making a step forward. "'Stay, you foolish youth,' said Medea, grasping his arm. "'Do you not see you are lost without me as your good angel? In this gold box I have a magic potion, which will do the dragon's business far more effectually than your sword.' The dragon had probably heard the voices, for swift as lightning his black head and forked tongue came hissing among the trees again, darting full forty feet at a stretch. As it approached, Medea tossed the contents of the gold box right down the monster's wide-open throat. Immediately, with an outrageous hiss and a tremendous wriggle, flinging his tail up to the tip-top of the tallest tree, and shattering all its branches as it crashed heavily down again. The dragon fell at full length upon the ground, and lay quite motionless. "'It is only a sleeping potion,' said the enchantress to Prince Jason." One always finds a use for these mischievous creatures sooner or later, so I did not wish to kill him outright. Quick, snatch the prize and let us be gone. You have won the golden fleece. Jason caught the fleece from the tree and hurried through the grove, the deep shadows of which were illuminated as he passed by the golden glory of the precious object that he bore along. A little way before him he beheld the old woman whom he had helped over the stream, with her peacock beside her. She clapped her hands for joy, and beckoning him to make haste, disappeared among the duskiness of the trees. Espying the two-winged sons of the north wind, who were disporting themselves in the moonlight, a few hundred feet aloft, Jason bade them tell the rest of the Argonauts to embark as speedily as possible. But Lynceus, with his sharp eyes, had already caught a glimpse of him bringing the golden fleece, although several stone walls, a hill, and the black shadows of the grove of Mars intervened between... By his advice the heroes had seated themselves on the benches of the galley, and with their oars had perpendicularly ready to let fall into the water. As Jason drew near, he heard the talking image calling to him with more than ordinary eagerness in its grave, sweet voice. "'Make haste, Prince Jason, for your life! Make haste!' With one bound he leaped aboard at the sight of the glorious radiance of the golden fleece. The nine and forty heroes gave a mighty shout and Orpheus, striking his harp, sang a song of triumph, to the cadence of which the galley flew over the water, homeward bound, as if careering along with wings. End of Part 4 The Golden Fleece End of Tanglewood Tales by Nathaniel Hawthorne